And today I'm going to teach from a passage that our dear sister Kathleen, who came up and gave our announcements, she taught me something about it about a year ago, maybe a little more, uh, something I've never seen before. So I want to thank you, Kathleen, for teaching your pastor. And I hope I can do well with the nugget that you gave me that I can impart to the body today. And thank you for your work with my own backyard. Appreciate you so much, girl. Amen. John chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Do you have it? Amen. The Bible reads, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples... Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. So with your prayers and with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'd like to preach this morning on the subject of the poor are with you, but are you with the poor? The poor are with us, but are we with the poor? Let's pray. Dad, thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us instructions. Thank you that we don't have to pray about what your will is, because when we read your word, we understand your will. We may not know all of the details that you have for us, but you call us to love you and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that's without qualification, to love. Because many times, Lord, you place our neighbors around us, as Elder Tyler said, who are different from us so that we may see how much we need you, how much we want to be like you, and how much we must depend on you even to love. I'm even thinking, Lord, of what my sister Crystal said about dying to self. Lord, we get in the way so much. Lord, help me not to get in your way this morning. And help every listener not to get in the way of what you want to teach. We yield. We give. We make ourselves available, Lord. And we say, Lord, speak to us. Deal with the biases, the prejudices, the things we have in our minds and in our hearts that are not right with you or line up with your word. May your word pierce through those things. May the word get down into our heart and in our soul that we might be changed and dare I say, even transformed by the renewing of our mind. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. Do the work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The poor are with you, but are you 
with the poor. The story that I just read this morning of Mary anointing Jesus prior to his crucifixion is found in three of the four Gospels. This story is found in Matthew chapter 26, Mark 14, and here in John chapter 12. In each version of the story, Jesus says, the poor you have with you always. The poor you have with you always. The poor you have with you always. Unfortunately, these words from our sable skin Savior have been misinterpreted by believers down through the ages to mean that poverty is inevitable. So just accept it because the poor are with you, poverty is with you, and there's nothing you can do about it. So just accept it. Well, I don't believe that's what Jesus is getting at. And I don't believe that's what the whole counsel of the Word of God teaches us as it pertains to poverty. That it's something to just be accepted because it is inevitable. We have been conditioned in our capitalistic society to see the poor as being with us as nuisances, annoyances, burdens, eyesores, and irritants. We have been programmed to see the poor as less than, as inferior, as subservient. But in the kingdom of God, we are to view the poor through a completely different set of lenses. God wants us to see the poor as being assets, equals, and contributors. The poor are people made in the image of God who have something to offer and something to receive. They are to be included, invited, and informed. God sees the poor, even though some of y'all can't see me right now, but thank God for the light. God sees the poor, and he sees them as being rich in faith and worthy of our respect. And based on James chapter 2, the poor and the rich should come together in the local church. The church shouldn't be segregated along racial lines or economic lines. And we don't tell poor people to just sit in the back or come and sit here by my foot while we give the best treatment to someone coming in of wealth and means. God is no respecter of persons, and we should not be either, especially in his house. The Bible lets us know in Psalm 49, too, that the rich and the poor, the high and the low, should be together. Because God had a message for the people in Psalm 49, and he said the rich and the poor need to hear this message. The high and the low need to hear this message. God is speaking to all people the Bible lets us know in Galatians 3.28 that the slave and the free should be together. One in Christ, but not the same. 2 Samuel chapter 9, when David went and got Jonathan's son Mephibosheth 
and had him sit at his table. We learn from that that kings and the crippled are to sit together at the same table to enjoy fellowship and a good meal. Yes, when Jesus says the poor will be with us always, a kingdom-minded Christian sees this to mean the poor will be with us and we will be with the poor always. If you get that, you got the sermon. It's not so much that they are with us. The question is, are we with them? And the word with is an intimate word because who you're with says a lot about who you are. And so we need to be with them as much as we anticipate them being with us. I need you to turn to your neighbor and ask, who you with, who you with, who you with? Turn to your neighbor and say, who you with, who you with, who you with? <laughs> we all have to be taught that the things that we despise, the people that we often look down upon, those are the ones that God lifts up. That the kingdom of God is upside down, even though it's technically right side up. That the ones that the world calls castaways, we call brothers and sisters. We invite them into the house. We invite them to the banquet table. So i got three things to say with you today. The first thing is, don't be the kind of Christian who only talks about giving to the poor. Don't be that kind of believer who only talks about it. Because God doesn't want you talking about it. Elder Sherman, he wants us to be about it. So no empty words. Look at verse 4 and 5 of John chapter 12. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said. Now, what you're about to read are the first recorded words of Judas in the Bible. Now, he's going to talk a little bit later uh, when he's betraying the Lord. These are his first recorded words, and let's read what they are in verse 5. He said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So he's talking about giving to the poor, but that's not really where his heart was. Uh, Judas talked about giving, but he never gave. As a matter of fact, the offerings that were collected we can assume that many of those offerings were used to help provide physical substance and financial substance for the people that Jesus ministered to. But Judas was stealing out of the money box, a money box that was there to minister to the needs of hurting people. He was stealing. So when he said these words that we should give to the poor, everyone thought he was sincere except Jesus. <laughs> you can fool some of the people some of the time. You can fool most of the people most of the time, but you can't fool Jesus none of the time. Because he's not just listening to what's coming out of your mouth. He knows what's going on in your heart. And Jesus knows that this man is insincere. You see, Judas had the right verbiage but he lacked the right verbs. <laughs> he had the right verbiage. He, he was saying the right things, but he didn't have the right action associated with what he said. 
And so when we think about the poor, when he talked about we should give to the poor, don't waste this on Jesus. Because that's how he saw her act of worship. When you read the Bible, especially in the Gospel of John, Mary, the sister of Martha, is always at the feet of Jesus. And this time she's at his feet and she's anointing him for his burial and crucifixion that's imminent and that's to come. She's at his feet. And she's wiping his feet with her hair, which is an act of worship because a woman's glory is her hair. She's submitting her glory to the feet of Jesus Christ. So whatever your glory is, whatever makes you shine, worship is when you surrender it and give it back to the Lord and you place it at his feet. She's worshiping. And wow, what a wonderful opportunity in that house. As this aroma goes through the house, you've got Lazarus sitting at the table who's just been raised from the dead in chapter 11. You got the disciples there, and you've got Judas criticizing Mary for her gift to the Lord. But we also need to remember, as we read this story in other gospels, that Judas was not by himself in criticizing Mary. The other fellows jumped in and criticized her for worshiping the Lord. Because Judas, at this point, was leading the way, and the other disciples acted like followers of him as opposed to followers of Jesus. But I'm so glad for this strong woman who did not let these uh, religious men who were in the era, who were in the wrong at this time, stop her from doing what she felt led to do, to worship him, but she was criticized. What you're wasting on Jesus can be used to give to the poor. Man, you don't mean that. But who were the poor in that culture? They were the widows. They were the orphans. They were the diseased and the disabled. They were the poor. People who had to beg. Uh, people who needed other people to take care of them. They were carried on a mat to Jesus. They were poor. They needed help. And so the poor in that land were the widows, the orphans, the diseased, the disabled. Well, who are the poor in our culture? Very much the same people, but I'll go a little bit deeper. Based on the seminar we had yesterday taught by Susanna Shoemate, I learned a few things, and that is the poor are those who lack access to resources. So we talk about what is poverty or who are the poor. They are, we are the people who lack access to resources. Obviously, we're talking about financial resources, but that's not the only kind of resource that empowers people. We're speaking of emotional resources, intellectual resources, which speaks of education, spiritual resources, which may also include counseling, uh, and not just going to church, but drug counseling and alcohol counseling and whatever is needed to help the soul. But then there's also physical resources that are needed, especially if one is handicapped. And then there are social resources that people need because it's not always what you know, but it's who you know and who will go to bat for you. And so the poor, the poor. And in Williamson, excuse me, in Davidson County, we learned that 20% of those who live in Davidson County are in poverty. And so there is what is called generational poverty and situational poverty. Generational poverty is when you have been in poverty for uh, at least two generations, that you were born in it, 
Uh, your children are born in poverty. Your parents were born in poverty, and they pass that on to you, and you're born in poverty. And many times people who are born in poverty don't know that they're in poverty because that's all they know. So there's generational poverty, which is a strong hold, and it's not just something that's individualistic as far as personal choices, but there are systemic choices that contribute to people's status in the world, and we need to be mindful of that and those things. So there's generational poverty, but then there's also situational poverty. And she did a simple exercise yesterday to ask us to explain using the letter D, all of the ways that someone can fall into poverty. And we began to list those, and I'll list some with you this morning. A death can cause a family to go into poverty. I shouldn't have to explain that. That should be obvious. If a breadwinner of a family passes away and there are, are no uh, means of insurance or things like that, death can send a family into poverty. But not only death, but debt can send a family into poverty. A natural disaster can send a family into poverty. Hurricane Katrina uprooted many families, devastated communities. People's lives were changed. Not everyone got aid or assistance. They couldn't pull themselves up by their own bootstraps because people lost their boots in the hurricane. And so there are natural disasters, and the Bible talks about famines and how even the patriarchal family had to leave Canaan to go into Egypt because of famine. And they had to go to another place and be refugees in Egypt and be taken care of in a welcoming uh, a country for that group of people. So famine, disaster, drugs, drug abuse, drug use, and not just street drugs, but over-the-counter pharmaceutical drugs, the addictions that come and, and, and the repercussions from those decisions and those choices can spiral out of control and lead a family into poverty. Not only that, there is divorce. Divorce. Downsizing. After you've gotten used to living according to a certain standard of income, and then there's a downsizing at your job. Either you have a pay cut or you lose your job altogether. And then there's diplomacy, when the government says we're shutting down, and the experts say, you ought to be able to survive these 35 days. You ought to be able to go to your grocery store and just ask them to hook you up with groceries. What era do you live in? This ain't Mayberry. That, that ain't how it works. So diplomacy, the Dow, those who invest money, then all of a sudden, when the stock market crashes, or in 2009, when the economy collapsed financially, it messed some people up. We can go back to 1929, where if people were not in poverty, they were jumping out of windows committing suicide. And then there's drunkenness. There's displacement. There is depression. Many of our war men and women, uh, military men and women who've been in war, they come back and they have to deal with many, many mental challenges, and, and they have depression, and, and, and some of them are disabled. And then there are those of us who have been deinstitutionalized. 
we get out of the institution and we come back into the world, but our options and our access is limited. And the system is almost set up so that you have to go back to what you did that got you in jail in the first place because there are people making money off of you as you're incarcerated. They don't want to see you make it. And so there are many D's in all of us, I would say, we're one D away from poverty. We're one D away from our lives being shifted, and those people now become our people. We're one of them because of the D's. But I think Jesus is saying you don't have to go through that to be one of them and have them be one of you. Community, the body of Christ, calls for us to be one but not the same. So don't be the kind of Christian who only talks about giving to the poor. Judas talked about it but didn't do it. And, and, and in the Bible, in 2 Corinthians, the, the, the Corinthian church was very wealthy, very gifted. And the Macedonian churches were poorer than the Corinthian church. Yet out of their poverty, they gave to help struggling believers who were in a worse situation than they were in Macedonia. They, they, they gave themselves to the Lord and then to Paul with this sacrificial gift. But the rich church, who said they were going to give never followed through on their promise. And so Paul had to lovingly rebuke and encourage them, do what you said and give what you promised. Don't be the kind of person who says it and doesn't do it. Number two, don't be the kind of Christian who could care less about the poor. Verse 6 of John chapter 12, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. This brother could care less about the poor. He didn't care about the poor because he only cared about himself. And the proof that he cared about himself was that he tried to always take care of himself, even through unrighteous means like stealing. Judas had a problem. Judas loved money. And the Bible says that the love of money is the root to all kinds of evil, even the evil of stealing from the Lord Jesus Christ, even the evil of betraying Christ. Because after this episode in John chapter 12, when Jesus has to step in and shut down their hypocrisy and protect this precious woman by saying, leave her alone, the Bible says in the Gospel of Matthew, as well as in Mark 14, that Judas went to the chief priest after this. After he didn't get his money, he went to the chief priests and he asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? And they counted out 30 pieces of silver. It was all about the money. And no one knew he was stealing except Jesus. None of the disciples knew he was the betrayer until he walked up in the garden with the mob. Oh, he was good at being fake. And there's so many folks, so many wolves mixed in with the sheep, so many devils mixed in with the saints that they don't care about the poor. Because when you care for the poor, that's proof that you understand the kingdom of God. So how do you know if you care about the poor? Number one, you don't steal from them. 
Oh, boy. Now, I'm not a whiskey drinker. Can the church say amen? Uh, <laughs> your pastor's not a drunkard. You may have a little wine here or there. But I don't drink whiskey. But I am told that the, the, the recipe for that whiskey, now, don't none of y'all testify and tell me if this is true because you probably don't know either. But I'm told that a slave created that recipe that someone took from him in Lynchburg, Tennessee, and made a whole lot of money off of that whiskey called Jack Daniels. So there are many ways to steal from poor people, to take their songs, to take their dances, to take their intellectual capital, to take from them and not give them credit, and also to say you're going to give to them and not give to them. So don't steal from them. Another way to know if you care about the poor is that you don't overlook them. You don't berate them. You don't judge them. You don't despise them. You don't pass them by. Here's what you do. You bless them as God calls you to bless them. You learn their names because they have names. I find it interesting that when Jesus gives the parable in Luke 16 of Lazarus and the rich man, he does not give the rich man a name because he's been privileged his entire life. He's really the antagonist of the story, but Jesus gives the poor man, the protagonist of the story. We know his name, so there's dignity when we speak someone's name. There was a man on my corner when I would come into uh, my community who was selling uh, the newspapers on the corner for the homeless. And uh, I would ride by, I'd wave at him. I'd try to wave at him as much as I could. I'd roll down my window. Sometimes I would buy the contributor newspaper. Some days I couldn't. And the Lord said to me, he said, Chris, and, and I didn't hear a voice. He, that was just, you know, he's speaking to my heart. Go out, stop your car, get out your car, and go shake his hand Get to know him. And this is not for the purpose of evangelism so I can win a soul. Man, just go and love on this man. And don't you know that before I could follow through with that instruction from the Lord, I got word that he passed away. And it broke my heart. I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. I wish I had gotten to know him because he looked like such a groovy dude. And, uh, man, I wish I had reached out. Now, I believe he's in heaven. Because he would have those Jesus loves me things on. Now, he was, you know, Jesus, hey, come get one of them contributors. Hey, praise the Lord, brother. My brother in the Lord, I wish I had gotten out to know him. And some of you probably know the gentleman that I'm talking about who live in Franklin. So you, you learn their names. You look them in the eyes. Next week, I'm going to talk about that. Looking people in the eyes who are begging, Okay. So we'll talk about that next week, to, to give them dignity and personhood. And we, we know that we care about the poor when we have compassion on them. But also, we vote for policies that benefit them, like raising the minimum wage to a living wage. Yeah, that's what we do. We do that too. Because there's a thing called the working poor. And in this multi-economic church, many of us are the working poor. We work places that we can't afford to live in. We have to combine and we have to be very creative on how we make ends meet every month. T 
Time Magazine did an article uh, in September of 2018, and on the covers of these different Time Magazine articles, they would put different folks, common folks. And here's what one of those covers said. It had an African-American lady on the cover, and these were her words in quotes, and she said, I have 20 years of experience, but I can't afford to fix my car, see a doctor for headaches, or save for my children's future. I am a teacher in America. There's something wrong with that. So we have to vote and put people in office who care about teachers and who care about a living wage to get this thing up to at least $15 or more. As others are getting their golden parachutes together, they need to also remember those who help make their bounty possible. So we care about the poor. We care about them. Why? Because they're our neighbors. They're our family members. They're our church members. They are us. But thirdly and most importantly, be the kind of Christian who actually gives to the poor. Don't be the one who talks about it. Don't be the one who doesn't care about the poor, but be the kind of Christian who actually gives because you care. Look at verse 3. This might shout some of y'all. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. The fragrance of worship was just going through that house. It was setting a different atmosphere in that house. But then Judas starts talking. That devil starts talking. But this woman is the example that we are to follow in this text. It's definitely not Judas. And it's not even the other 11 disciples because they were just as indignant with what they considered waste as he was. They're supposed to be loving on Jesus like she was. They should have gotten on their knees and honored Jesus just like she was doing. But they sat around and debated that that gift could have been used better and differently to help the poor. Well, Mary gave her best gift to Jesus. Yes, she did. But it also means that when she gave it to Jesus, watch this, she also gave her gift to the poor. When she gave Jesus her gift, her best gift, she gave her gift to the poor. The thing that Judas and them were talking about doing, my girl was doing. Pastor, what do you mean that Jesus was poor? We all know that he was middle class, Western, European, we know he spoke English. Come on, pastor. What do you mean? No, no, no. Let's go to what the Bible says. I think I'm still at Strong Tower Bible Church, right? I think I'm still here. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For consider the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that we through his poverty might be made rich. So when Jesus entered into the world, Philippians chapter 2 says, he descended, he came down, and he took the form of a human, but not just any human, the form of a slave, a bond slave, a servant. So Jesus came down. 
but we're so busy trying to go up. He made himself of no reputation, but we're so busy trying to concern ourselves with what other people think about us. But I want to be like Jesus. You do? <laughs> well, go down. And if he's not calling you to live amongst the poor, he's at least calling you to incarnate your feet amongst the poor and serve the poor. Some folk get a calling and, and, and they give up everything. Praise the Lord. But not everybody has that calling, but everybody has a calling to serve their neighbor, especially their neighbor if they are poor. So he became poor. And compared to other rabbis in his day, he definitely was poor. He was born to two parents of meager means. He was laid in a manger as a baby. Now, I know some of us didn't grow up with cribs. We were laid on the bed, and they put that pillow next to us to keep us from rolling off. But he was put in a place where animals put their mouths in. That's poverty. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes or strips of cloth because they didn't have a whole blanket. They had strips to put on his little body. He did not receive an inheritance from his earthly father, Joseph. He was raised in a despised town called Nazareth. Because when Nathaniel heard that the Messiah was here, they're like, where he from? They said, uh, Nazareth. My man said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That, that was that kind of part of town. You know, can anything good come from the hood is what he was saying. And even the Pharisees, who didn't investigate enough to see that Jesus was born in Judea in Bethlehem, they thought because he was raised in Galilee, he was from Galilee, and they put Galileans down. People from the south put down people in the north. Oh, I think it still goes on today in America. So he was also the one who said, uh, if you're going to follow me, you, you, you got to recognize it ain't going to be comfortable. Because foxes have holes. Birds have what? But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That means he's without shelter on purpose. That means he doesn't have a home of his own. Which also goes on to say that it was the women who provided substance for him in Luke chapter 8. So Jesus didn't go around worrying about what was in his pocket. He was poor. But there were other people who loved the poor and they made sure this poor preacher, this poor itinerant preacher had everything that he needed while he was out ministering. So Luke chapter 8 says that the women who were working jobs, the women who had power, empowered the poor Messiah. We sing, there's not a friend like the what, Jesus? Lowly Jesus. No, not one. He was poor. He was lowly. But not only that, he was wrongfully arrested, physically assaulted, and unjustly sentenced to the death penalty. This is why I don't believe in the death penalty anymore. Because there are innocent people being put to death on death row. Because don't you know everybody that's in jail uh, didn't do the crime that they were arrested for? And if I keep going deeper, why is it that people in some states are doing over 15 years for distributing marijuana on the streets, but there are other states that people not, because it's legal in Colorado and other places, they, they making money off of things that June bug in jail for. Something's got to change. That's systemic. That's oppressive. That's racist. 
Ha! So Jesus was sentenced to the death penalty. And when he died, he only had the clothes that were on his back. And even those they took from him and divided them up. And when they took his body off the cross, he didn't have burial insurance. He didn't have a family tomb. No, Joseph of Arimathea said, no, no, he can go into my tomb. So the Bible in the Old Testament says they put him into a borrowed tomb. And when you got to borrow stuff, that means you don't have stuff. You're poor. But he was poor with a purpose. And I'm so glad he was poor because he can identify not only with those who are poor of resources, but above all, poor in spirit. Because the spirit of the Lord was upon him to preach good news to the poor. Oh, thank you, Jesus. So when you give to the poor, do like Mary and give them your best gift. And that best gift may not always be money. She gave oil. An anointment oil. So your best gift may not be money, but it might be your best coat. <laughs> might be your best shoes. Might be your best time. Give them your best. Don't give them something you wouldn't want somebody to give to you. So when we collect in underwear and things for these children in the community and families in the community, don't you give them something you were about to throw away and then drop it off at the church. No, give good stuff, stuff that you would wear. Let it cost you something. Do unto others the way you would want somebody to do unto you. So give your best and give your best smile to folks. Give them your best greeting. You hug them even if they smell like urine. You hug them even if they smell like body odor. You hug them and bless them. Why? Because they're God's children. <laughs> Watch this. Oh, yeah. Because when we give to the poor, we need to give to the poor as if we're giving to Jesus. You know this, but we just got to do this. She gave her gift, her best gift, to Jesus. And Jesus says, when you give your gifts to the disenfranchised, you're giving to him. Jesus, what do you mean? Well, in Matthew 25, in the parable of the goats and the sheep about the nations, Jesus says, when you feed hungry people, you feed me. He says, when you give thirsty people water, you're giving me water. When you give naked people clothes, you're clothing me. When you welcome the stranger in, you're welcoming me. When you visit those who are in prison, you're visiting me. When you visit those who are in the hospital, you're visiting me. Lord, when did we see you in prison and sick and naked and all of that? When you've done it to the least of these, my brothers, you've done it unto me. So dig this. God places the poor among us to see if we will be with them because to be with them is to be with him. I said it too fast. I got to say it one more time. God places the poor among us to see if we will be with them because to be with them is to be with him. You want to have church? I was talking to one of my brothers this past week, Brother Scott Oldsfall. Church ain't always in here on Sunday mornings at 1030. Yeah, this is church. But church is out there. Man, you want to see the Holy Spirit move? Minister, sit down with, talk with folks. And I, let me tell you something. You'll meet a brother or sister in the Lord who will start testifying to you about Jesus. Because don't think that they don't know Jesus because they're poor. You can have church on the corner. And by the way, 
Just about everything Jesus did was outside. He fed the 5,000 outside. He ministered to the lepers outside. He healed the blind outside. He helped the widows and orphans outside. But we keep trying to have church inside and forsake outside, but we got to get out of here and go out there. That's where church is. It really starts when we leave the building. <laughs> Proverbs 19, 17, the Bible says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they've done. I don't give to God to get something from him. But when I give to God, I get from him. It's just about the motive of the heart. There are laws in the kingdom that work. When you plant certain things, you're going to get a harvest. Uh, if you give, it will be given to you. And when you give to the poor, the Bible says it's like lending to the Lord. And the Lord repays back with interest. Again, I'm not doing it for that, but it's just a byproduct when my heart is right. Mary was just trying to honor Jesus by giving her best gift, giving to him, which was giving to the poor. And Jesus says, I got to bless her. Because whenever this story is told, you got to talk about Mary. You've got to talk about what she's done for me. So therefore, establish, if you will, an honorary holiday for Mary, Mary's holiday, because she gave to me. And so I'm giving honor back to her. Surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. That's here. What happened when she went there? So in conclusion, yes, the Lord said the poor will be with us always, and he expects us to be with them because to be with them is to be with him. To be with them is to be with him. Oh, I got to tell you a story. The story is told of a homeless man who went into a five-star restaurant to have his last meal. He gathered money from begging on the streets. He put his best outfit on, and he was going to eat this last meal and then go jump off a bridge and commit suicide. He went into the restaurant, sat down, and gave the waiter his order for steak and a baked potato. And as he was waiting, a group of 10 people walked in, sat down, and gave their order to the waiter. And much to the homeless man's surprise, the group of 10 people got their food before the homeless man got his. So the homeless man was saddened. He was perturbed by this. He, he got up, and he started walking towards the door to leave. Just then, the waiter stopped him and asked him, Sir, why are you leaving? Your food is coming. To which the homeless man replied to the waiter, I've been here waiting and waiting for my food. This party of 10 comes in. They get their food before I get my food, and I'm not going to be disrespected just because I'm homeless in here. So he began to leave, and the waiter said, sir, sir, I'm sorry. Their food was prepared by student chefs who are coming here as part of their school project. Their food was prepared by students 
but your food is being prepared by the master chef. When you walked in, the master chef recognized you and said, I know that man. We went to culinary school together. He helped me with many of my assignments until he dropped out after his wife died and he went into a deep depression. I heard he was living on the streets, and this is the first time I've seen him in 10 years. Therefore, the master chef has been making you an elaborate seven-course meal. He also plans on offering you a job as his assistant. So the man sat back down <laughs> to a wonderful banquet. And it reminds me of what our Lord said. The last will be first. And the first will be last. Now, when I think about life, I know who the master chef is. It's the Lord of glory. He knows how to hook people up here or there. It doesn't matter. He's the source. But guess who the waiter represents in this story? The waiter represents you, and the waiter represents me. He's the source, but he will send his blessings through us as we take his blessings to the table to serve those who have been disenfranchised. So we know who the chef is, but do we have any waiters in the house who's willing to bless some folk just because God said so, <laughs> who's willing to encourage some folks just because God said so, because they're worthy of the best just like you are. Let's stand for prayer. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. So what can you do with this message? Care for the poor. See the poor. Think about the poor. Stop and talk to the poor. Help the poor. Use your resources, whatever they may be, not just financial, but all the other resources, and be a blessing. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for what you're teaching us. Thank you, Lord, for how you're growing us. Forgive us, Lord, for when we have said and not followed through. Forgive us, Lord, when we have been heartless, we haven't been people who care. Forgive us, God, for judging others and not knowing their stories. Forgive us, God, for looking down on folks. Forgive me. But thank you, Jesus, for being the ultimate example. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing women in the stories, the pages of the Bible, to stand forth as heroines to be followed. Thank you for using insignificant people according to the world to teach lessons even to the apostles, to teach lessons to us. And as we do it unto the least of these, we do it unto you. So bless your people to be a blessing. Send them forth now to go and bear much fruit, fruit that will remain. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Now unto him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. It's according to the power that's working within us. To him be the glory, the majesty, the dominion, and the authority, both now and forevermore. And all of Strong Tower Bible Church said, amen, amen. Go in peace and have a blessed day.